0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. How many have ever lost something? Uh, maybe this week. Maybe you lost something this week. Anybody lose their keys this week? Uh, you lose something on the way to church Maybe. Um, It can be a little frustrating. There are people in your life that will help you when you lose something and they'll say, well, it's not really lost, it's just misplaced. (laughs) Thank you. I needed that information. That's really helpful. Thank you. How many of you, uh, perhaps, we won't point fingers necessarily, but maybe there's a spouse or a family member and when you lose something, they simply say, well, what was the last place you left it? Well, if I knew that, I would know where to go find said item, right? We lose things and we get frustrated. Uh, I remember losing keys before and after that I always have a very specific spot. I put my keys when I get into my office or when I get into my house. There's a little hook. As soon as I walk in, I put it there. And if it's not there, then I don't, I, I don't even spend time looking for it because that's the only place it should be. We lose thinking, lose things, and it makes us uh, go a little crazy. And all the advice we would get when we lose things are are kind of, um, they're good pieces of advice, um, but they seem trite in the moment, right? Because we really don't want advice when we lose something, we just want to find whatever we lost. And so really when we say, I can't find my keys, we're saying, will you find my keys for me? That's really what we're saying, right? There's a good chance many of us, maybe as followers of Jesus Christ, we've lost something spiritual in our nature. Some of us have lost maybe a passion for God. Uh, Make no mistake, you're still in church, but the joy isn't there like it used to be. Maybe you're watching online, and maybe this is why you're watching online, because it takes a lot of energy to come to church, and you're just not feeling it lately, and The passion or the joy, I often refer to my life like a a joy bucket. My joy bucket isn't as full as it used to be. And so it gets hard to move and to, to gather with other believers. Maybe you're in that position. Maybe at some point you had great faith and you used to pray. My goodness, when people needed something in their life, they would go to you for prayer because they knew you kept a journal or they knew that you would spend... Uh, time in prayer, and not just before meals, but you really desired to get a sense of what God was doing, and you went to the throne of grace, and you came boldly like the Scriptures describe it, and lately you just barely pray for dinner or for a meal. You've lost something. Maybe for you it's uh, the, the fact that uh, you would go through your days and you would, uh, you would look for opportunities to share the fact that you are a Christian with others. And maybe that was a long time ago, and you've lost that part of your life. We're going to take a look at a story today, and um, it's it's a reminder of what to do when you've lost something. Um, Just by way of review, we've talked about some very practical stories that Elisha is involved with. Uh, Faith over fear has walked us through three weeks. Uh, The first week was about burning plows and we talked about how if you're going to have faith over fear in your life it's going to take commitment and there was the story of Elisha when he first was called to follow Jesus in a leadership position he was actually working in his field and he was working with the plows and when he found out that Elijah wanted to mentor and bring him uh, bring Elisha um, under himself and provide maybe an apprenticeship for Elisha Elisha said great and he burned his plows the very tools that were his livelihood, he burned and he had 12 uh, yoke of oxen and he slaughtered all the oxen. There was a commitment from Elisha. There was no plan B and, and he had a barbecue for his town and the next thing you know, he followed Elijah. When the next week we looked at the story of him um, with the with kings and there was three kings and they were going to do battle and had this great plan and then all of a sudden they ran out of water and the armies ran out of water and the animals ran out of water and if you ran out of water you were surely to going to die. And they came to Elisha and Elisha really didn't want to help him. You can see his kind of snarky attitude um, in the scriptures. He's just kind of Uh, Snarky with them, but he ends up getting alone, and he finds some music to help uh, calm his spirit down. And he provides this miracle where there were uh, water, all that there was water everywhere they could see, and the water didn't come from a cloud, it didn't come from rain, it just magically appeared one morning. We saw there that faith, uh, choosing faith over fear, really takes action because there's a there's a small verse there embedded where God simply says. Uh, take this valley and fill it with ditches. Dig ditches. There's not going to be a cloud. There's not going to be rain. But by the time you're done filling these ditches, there will be all of this water. Faith over fear. When there's fear in your life, sometimes it takes action. Last week, we looked at the story of the widow who gathered jars. She had lost her husband. She had lost any source of income. The debt collectors were at her house, and she was going to be forced to give her two sons into slavery to pay off this debt. And Elisha says, well, why don't you gather all the jars that you can from neighbors? Grab a a peanut butter jar and a honey jar and jelly jars and all kinds of jars and, and milk jugs and every kind, every container, tall, short, wide, narrow, all these types of jars. And she had this one little flask of olive oil and the Bible talks about how she started pouring that little flask into the one jar and then she went to the next and next and All of the jars that she had laid out before her were filled from this one flask because sometimes faith over fear takes trust during the impossibility. Today we're going to look at, I'm going to tell you right up front, you heard it in my prayer, it's one of the oddest miracles in the Bible. Now Elisha had experience with miracles and there's some awesome ones. This one is simply the story of the floating axe head. It sounds like an appropriate one for Halloween maybe the story of the floating axe head we're just going to read it let's look at second kings chapter 6 verse 1 the company of the prophets said to elisha look the place where we meet with you is too small for us so let's go down to jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet and he said go and one of them said won't you please come with your servants i will elisha replied And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. In verse 5, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. It wasn't mine. I lost the head of this axe. The man of God asked, well, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick. He threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. So this is the miracle. There is, this, um, there is this seminary student, there's a company of prophets. So back then when uh, you were studying the Torah and you were, uh, you were putting your life in a position to be a prophet like Elisha, you would follow under Elisha. You would basically apprentice yourself under Elisha. This is how many people would learn the trades they would uh, end up using for the rest of their life. And so there was a company of seminary students, these kids that were in Bible college, uh, basically. And they followed under Elisha. And the company was getting too big. And so they said there's different property. We can go out and we can spread out a little bit. Elisha, we're, we're too big for, uh, for this area. So they went over. They started using some tools to... Uh, build what they were uh, get, where they were going to settle. The Bible says that one of the seminary students who borrowed an axe was chopping a tree, and I just, I, I, in my mind, I like to picture these stories. And so he had had an axe, and as he went to swing it back, the axe head just flew off, flew off into the river. And then Elijah throws a stick in the water, and the axe head floats. So let's discuss a couple of things and then we'll dive right into the story. One thing we need to kind of understand is iron is very valuable at this time. Iron is incredibly valuable. And the prophet who was studying this younger guy uh, most likely didn't have property of his own. Most likely was poor. Most likely was not in a position uh, to pay back losing this tool. Um, you want to picture a college student. You want to picture someone uh, eating uh, ramen noodles for breakfast and leftover pizza for dinner. Right? Right? This is where we're at. This is this guy, and he's borrowing a tool. So maybe this ramen eating, leftover pizza kind of guy borrows um, a vehicle. He borrows your vehicle, and he gets into an accident. He's in a position where he can't pay back for what he's borrowed. This is the angst the seminary student is going through. You can read the story and think, oh, he lost an ax. Just get another one. No, this was, this was prized possession. It was uh, valuable. It was something he couldn't replace overnight. He himself was not in a position to do so. And he was not in a position to do so because everyone else he knew was also as poor as he is. Now, college students are notoriously resourceful, aren't they? I remember a college student being without a lot of things and, you know, somehow you just kind of get by. You, you, um, you just get by. And, and so this college student is in that position, but he knows he's lost something that's a little bit too valuable. He's lost this accent. You could hear it in the verses that we read. Oh, my Lord, it was borrowed. In other words, I have to pay for that and it's gone. We saw last week where when you went into debt with someone and you couldn't pay it back readily... The way you would pay it back is you yourself would become that person's slave. So just think of the circumstances. He's a college student. He's lost this axe that was borrowed. It was to help build what they were building, to find a new place to gather and to worship. And now he has to leave college. He has to leave the seminary, leave the apprenticeship of Elisha, and become a slave for whoever he borrowed that axe from in order to pay it back. This was what is at stake. Now, what's interesting here is I love that the story is even recorded because it kind of shows us that, uh, that our big God actually cares so much about the very little details in our life. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that the big, detail, the big God, this, our great God, um, he cares about the little details in our life? And if we're not careful, I think through life we end up storing and holding our details to ourself and we think, well, I'm not going to pray about this because this is... This is not big enough for God. I'm not going to share this with someone because this is not big enough for someone to carry with me. I find myself quoting 1 Peter so often where it says, cast your cares on the Lord for what? He cares for you. I was reminded as I was looking at that text that oftentimes I think of uh, the hand motion of casting. I think of, of taking something and throwing it like a football, right? God, I'm the quarterback, Right? And you go out for a, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast my cares to you. Well, a quarterback is, or a football is pretty much small, and it's only full of air. The biblical word there, cast, is the idea of you're holding on to something so heavy that you can't move it, and the only option you have is to drop it. God says, cast your care. In other words, this care that's so big or in your life, but you think is so small, it's literally preventing you from moving. You can't get around. You can't get ready for your day. It's always there. He says, I want you to cast your care and just drop it. This story is a great reminder that God actually cares about the very little details in our life. And if you remember, Elisha was mentored by Elijah. Elisha is now mentoring the next generation. And so in this story, there's these Lessons that I think hopefully will come to life. First one, if you're following in your notes or in the Bible app, the first, uh, first note is this. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Now, this totally applies in our everyday lives. Um, if we're talking about car keys, if we're talking about your favorite um, whatever, if you're talking about your phone, if you're talking about... Um, whatever you might be losing, but it doubly applies spiritually in our lives when we lose something. And in those moments, church, be reminded that we serve a God who is totally into restoration. He cares about the details of our life, and our good God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Now, as we talk about losing the axe head and losing spiritual edge, I want you to do is, is think about this story metaphorically and hopefully symbolically there are some lessons for us. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Our question this morning I want to center around is this. Have you lost your spiritual edge? How have you lost your spiritual edge? Now this takes an incredible amount of honesty. This takes us looking in the mirror spiritually and taking inventory to get an honest assessment. And many times we're afraid of the honest assessment. We're afraid of looking in the mirror because of what we might see. And yet the question this morning remains, how have you lost your spiritual edge? It's my guess that as followers of Jesus Christ, you might honestly say where there was a time in your life where you prayed more than you do today. There was a time in your life where you actually believed God for those big items more perhaps than you did today. There was a time when you were, uh, your joy bucket was just overflowing and you couldn't imagine just not being in the position that you are. And so there's moments in our life where this happens. How have you lost your spiritual edge? Maybe for those of you, uh, for some of you, um, you can look back and you can think back where I had way more joy. I was praying way more when I was surrounded by a group of followers of Jesus Christ who also encouraged me. I think one of the things that we have learned in the last two years, the emotional and spiritual aftermath of a pandemic has reminded us that we need people to be healthy in our lives. We need people to be joyful and doubly as followers of Jesus Christ. We need other followers of Jesus Christ in our life to encourage us to move forward. How have you lost your spiritual edge? Maybe it's that. Maybe you've realized that the community of people around you simply aren't there no more. Maybe some of you, we talked about it earlier, you had a passion for prayer. You kept a journal, you woke up early, you stayed up late, you, you were praying for your kids maybe every morning or every night. There were these moments in the, that were sacred, that were treasured, where it was just you and God, and you were coming before the throne of grace to get help in time of need, and you've lost that. How have you lost your edge spiritually? Maybe some of you enjoyed sharing your faith, and you had a deep love for those who were around you, and you found yourself just sharing the truth about who Jesus is. It didn't mean you carried a Bible everywhere you went. When people asked you how you were doing, you couldn't help but respond with the love of Jesus. How have you lost your edge spiritually? Maybe for some of you, you have just noticed that your standards have eroded. There's things that you are uh, tolerating today, maybe even... Doing today that a couple of years ago you just never would because your standards were different. How have you lost your edge spiritually? Um, by the way, if you have not lost your edge spiritually, today's Second Kings chapter 6, this story is a reminder, it's a red flag so that you don't lose your edge spiritually. But what is it in your life that was strong that maybe isn't strong now? Because God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean Lose. It's an interesting thought because none of us are waking up in the morning and say, You know what, I want to do in five years? I want to have an affair in five years. I really want to hurt my spouse in five years. None of you wake up and think, My goodness, I would love to fall back into this really bad habit. Not today, but you know, three, five years, that would be good. This really bad habit of mine. None of you wake up and think, you know, my business, I would love my business to go absolute bankrupt no less than 10 years from now. You see, most of these things in our life where we lose our edge are things that we didn't mean to lose in the first place. And it really takes an honest assessment of our own life, our own uh, spiritual inventory to say, how do I avoid that. You didn't mean to stop praying with your spouse, but you just did. You didn't mean to fall back into old patterns or habits, but you did. You didn't mean to drift away from love and intimacy you had with God, but you did. You didn't mean to end up pursuing material possessions that are just empty glory in your life but you did you didn't mean to become a part-time follower of christ but in actuality that's what you did you punch in on sunday mornings and you punch out and perhaps you have just found yourself without that spiritual edge i would say as we consider this god knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose but we need to be honest about where we lost our spiritual edge We go back to the story in verse 5, and it says this, As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. He exclaims, Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. And the man of God asks, Where did it fall? In other words, the axe head is gone. Where is it? Where did you lose it? Where did you start to lose your spiritual edge? Maybe there was a dis- discipline that you had in your life, and you used to be devoted and actually searching in God's Word, and then you kind of stopped. You wonder why you lost the joy of worshiping, and for some reason you just stopped. Maybe you got hurt by someone, and I don't know how many times I have this conversation in a given week, but someone hurts you, and, and for some reason that hurt drives a wedge between you and God, as well as you and the other person. And especially when it's another follower of Jesus Christ that has hurt you, that has let you down, or that has disappointed you. And the way that our worlds work and the way that our relationships work, if we're not careful, those hurts interrupt our relationship with that person, but it also interrupts our relationship with God. So where did you lose your edge spiritually? A word of caution this morning. Losing our spiritual edge will cause our heart to grow hard to God's voice where it once was sensitive. You lose your, your, your prayer habit. You lose your joy. Your joy bucket isn't as full. You lose your edge somehow. And what happens in our life is we've allowed our heart to grow hard. And typically what that means is we're blaming God over what someone else did. So be honest where you lost it. I know for me, there's a period in my life where I just, I lost my relationship with God. And what was happening in my life is every time there was a hurt in my life with another family member or another friend or another member in the church or, or what have you, every single time those pains and those disappointments set in my life, I added it to the stack of regrets or things I held against my Heavenly Father. And what happens is this, if we allow the failures of other people to stack up and we don't deal with those hurts and those resentments, what ends up happening is it will interrupt your relationship with God. And you will start looking at God and blaming him for the mistakes others have done to you. There was a period in my life where I think I went six or seven years without talking to my dad. Six or seven years. Um... It's hard for me to imagine not talking to him for a couple of days now. There was a period in my life where I didn't pray for those same six and seven years except to say, why? And that was the extent of my prayer. There was a period in my life where I just alienated every single relationship in my life. And what's fascinating about it is this. In the vacuum of good relationships that is when my relationship with my Heavenly Father was the worst. When I didn't have good people in my life loving and encouraging me, when I didn't have close relationship with my sister or my two brothers, when I didn't have close relationship with my mom and my dad, it's amazing that it also coincides with the same period of my life I hardly ever prayed, and I didn't read Scripture. Now, the, the, the other side of that is true as well. As soon as you begin to cry out to the Holy Father to restore those things in your life, you know what the tendency will be in your heart is to restore the relationships in your life. And all of a sudden you will see God softening that heart that was, once was hard and, uh, and it wasn't about asking and praying and and just treating God like a cosmic vending machine and God, give me this, and Lord, provide this, and this is what I need next. But it was simply recognizing that I had the presence of God in my life. And when that happened and when I appreciated that, it's amazing that God then ended up starting healing broken relationships in my life. We've talked about this before, but the horizontal relationships in our life are strengthened when our vertical relationship with Christ is strengthened. So first, be honest why you lost it because losing that spiritual edge will cause our heart to grow hard to God's voice where it once was sensitive. I would say as we continue to look at this scripture that God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. This is what he specializes in. Look at verse 6 and 7. It says this, the man of God asked, where did it fall? Where, when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. God has done some impressive miracles through Elijah's life. You look at them, there's poison water that's healed. There's dead children that are raised up. There are some amazing miracles. That one, this one's just weird. He showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick, threw it in there and made the iron float. Verse 7, lift it out, Elisha said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. The man, he, 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 Elisha asks the man to simply go out and to pick it up and the man ends up doing so. And God wants us to take back what we've lost and bring it back within reach. I'm here to remind you, to tell you that with God, it's not too late to be what he has called you to be. It's never too late to get back what you thought you could have uh, never have again. You've never gone too far. You haven't done too much. God specializes in helping people find what they didn't mean to lose. Now, here's the thing. Uh, There's no one here that can make water appear without clouds or rain in a valley there's no one here that can make jars fill miraculously that are completely empty there's none of us that can make an axe head float but here's the thing we can all dig ditches we can all gather empty jars and we can all lift up axe out of the water when it begins to float can we create in our own spirit spiritual passion and faith we cannot But we do know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from, what is it? All right, so let's just break that down. This is in Romans. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. If we want to increase our position of faith over fear, it means hearing more from the Word of God. It means hearing more from the Word of God than fill in the blank. The idea of faith over fear comes down to this. Who are you listening to? And how much are you listening to them? Whatever the source is that is filling the fear in your life, the greater steps that we take to eliminate that voice, the greater capacity we have to hear the Word of God. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that multitasking is a myth. I just, I can't do more than one thing at a time. You ever watch something really intriguing on the television and have a conversation with your spouse at the same time? Can I tell you something? You can only listen to one. Because then your spouse will start yelling and you'll say, that's a really weird to start a conversation. Why are you yelling? Because they've been trying to get your attention this whole time, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we want to increase our capacity for faith over fear, we have to eliminate the voices of fear so that we have the capacity to hear the word of God. This is why it's incredibly, incredibly Powerful that in the scriptures, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus was constantly getting up early and leaving everyone behind. Chapter after chapter. And Jesus went up early to pray. And Jesus removed himself from the disciples and went up early to pray. And Jesus left the disciples. Why? Because they were probably talking too much, the crowd was probably too loud. And so Jesus realized for him to hear from his heavenly Father, he would need to remove himself from that in order to hear from God. Here's the thing. You might not be hearing from God because you're listening to too many other things. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the Word of God. It's amazing to me because here's this. uh, You can put yourself in a place where you hear God's Word more clearly and build up your faith. Um, We know that God hears and answers prayers, so we can choose to pray even when we don't feel like it. You can choose to worship even when you don't feel like it. But if we are constantly uh, bombarded with other voices in our life, it becomes really hard to build up this place, this position of faith in our life. In the New Testament, here's the reminder in Revelation. Revelation 2 says this in verse 4. Yet I ha- I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Jesus is talking to followers of Jesus Christ. He's talking to a church body, and he says this: You have forsaken the love you had at first. Verse five. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand stamp from its place. That metaphor, lampstand from its place, a lamp stamp is designed to give light and to illuminate and to have influence in the dark surroundings that it's in. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you don't consider how far you've fallen, if you do not repent and return to the things you've done at first, I will take you from your position of influence. I will remove that influence from you. Jesus was talking specifically to a church of people in the New Testament. He says, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. And this is Jesus' remedy. Look at it in verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, turn back. That word repent literally means to turn around. It means you are going in a certain direction, you are doing certain things, and Jesus says stop, consider how far you've fallen, repent, turn around, rethink your life, turn around. And then he says this, if you want what you once had, you have to do what you once did, start doing the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you want what you once had, you've got to do what you once did. I think Dr. Seuss said that. God wants to help you get back what you didn't mean to lose. You do what you can because God is a God of restoration. The book of Joel says it this way. He will help restore the years that the locust has taken. Proverbs 6 says it this way. When the enemy steals something, he's going to pay it back seven times. There's a story, one of the miracles with Elisha is with Naaman. He's a commander of the army, and Naaman has leprosy, and leprosy was going to be debilitating where he would not be able to recover. And in Scripture, leprosy serves as a metaphor, a symbol of sin in your life. So Naaman comes to Elisha and says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And so he is asked to dip in the river seven times. So Naaman does it. He does it seven times, and the Bible says that his skin was restored. The Hebrew word there that is used for the word restore is the word shub. Everyone say shub. You just learned Hebrew. It literally means to be made better than new. We have a five-month foster baby in our home, and every once in a while I'm just marveled at how soft her skin is. You know what I'm talking about. This is the idea, this shub, this restoration that God is talking about. He's talking about making something better than it was new. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what causes you to hurt. I don't know what has caused you to be wounded in your life spiritually. I don't know how far you've drifted, but I know this. Our God wants you to know you have not gone too far. Our God wants you to know that you have not gone too far and you can be the person that God has designed you to be even today because he specializes in restoring people. We serve a God who specializes in helping people find what they did not mean to lose and that's how good God is. We're going to end with this promise from the Old Testament. The message is a paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson and I just love how he paraphrases these verses from Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 it says this God your God will restore everything you lost he will have compassion on you he'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered no matter how far away you end up god your god will get you back will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed it will be yours again he will give you good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors we're talking about children of israel who knew god and who just kept constantly messing up and we look at them and say couldn't you guys pull it together like 40 years wandering i feel like that's a little much guys Like you keep on complaining, and then God would punish you, and then you'd repent, and then God would restore, and then you'd screw up all over again. And like meanwhile, we do all four of those stages on our lunch break. Right? Right? We talk about how they're so out of it these years that they, and yet we do the same thing in a short amount of time. I want you to read this verse again. This is our promise to you today. God, your God, will restore everything you've lost. The family you thought you've lost. There was a point in my life where I thought I would never have a meaningful conversation with my mom again. I can tell you that um, I thought I had lost close relationship with my sister and with my dad and with my brothers. And I've seen this verse come true. He will restore everything you've lost. I've been in a position where... um, Everything I owned would fit in my um, car. And he's restored everything back. It doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. But God restores. Look at the next. He says this. He'll have compassion on you. Maybe you're watching online and you're so far away from God because you think, my goodness, Daniel, if I just pull up to the corner of Douglas and Cain, the church will just light up on fire. You think, I have done so much. I have failed God so many times. I have failed in every relationship in my life. I am not who God wants. See that verse? He'll have compassion on you. In Scripture, in the New Testament, one of my, the most beautiful phrases in all the New Testament, it says, he was moved with compassion. In other words, when he saw people living a life that just below of what they could live, when they were joyless, when they were living with fear and no faith in their life, God would see them, and the Bible would describe it this way, Jesus was moved with compassion, and he'll have compassion on you. Um, look at the next phrase he'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered you think man there's no way i could pick up the pieces of my life good he doesn't ask you to he says he'll do it god promises that he'll do it Um, and then that last sentence there no matter how far you end up you've lost your spiritual edge this morning Well, maybe this phrase is for you, no matter how far away you end up. Uh, James has a beautiful way to describe it. He says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. No matter how far away you are, he will draw near to you. Um, You're never too far away from enjoying the very presence of God. And the thing I like to remind people is this. Oftentimes in our life, when we are in our spaces where we have failed in every relationship and the pieces of our life are just thrown all over the place like a dish that breaks on the floor and there's no way to put the dish back together and we think there's no way our life can be put back together. uh, Often in those moments, we're waiting for God to yell and to get our attention with a bright big neon billboard sign and to grab our attention and yet in those moments he whispers because he's never left your side. He's always right there with you. God your God he will restore everything. He'll have compassion on you and he'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered. No par no matter how far away you end up. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a divine healing work in our hearts today. This is my prayer. With our heads bowed as we continue in prayer, there are some of you who would say, I had it, and I've lost it, Daniel. There was absolutely a time I was more passionate than I am. There was absolutely a time where I was more intimate than I am right now. There was times when I was on fire. There was times where I cared more. And if I'm being honest with you, and we're in church. This is as good a place as any, to be honest. If you were honest, you'd say, I've lost it. But with God's help, I want my spiritual edge back. I embrace these words from Deuteronomy that He will restore everything I've lost, that He will have compassion on me, that He'll pick up the pieces of my life no matter how far I've gone. Well, this is your chance. Whether you're here in this sanctuary, whether you're watching us online live or maybe later in the week, you're watching. This is your moment to come back to a heavenly, gracious Father. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that in this moment there would be a divine breakthrough. God, I pray that we would break even for you, before you, recognizing how far we've fallen. God, we repent, we turn, And Father, we will commit to doing the things we once did. We'll continue to go back to prayer time with our spouse and with our family. We'll go back to reading scripture. We'll go back to being faithful to a body of believers. God, we commit to seek after you. We will do only what we can do, but we will trust you for everything else. God, we pray that you would restore the spiritual passion to a greater place than we've ever had before. That we would be so overflowing with your love that wherever we go, people would want what we have because your grace, your goodness, your presence, your power, your spirit has led us. God, help us find what we didn't mean to lose. God, for those who are in a deep darkness, we pray that your light would pierce the darkness, that you would restore us, even to a place that's more joy filled than ever before. I Father, help us not to go through the motions spiritually. Because the truth of the matter is, while our joy may be full, there are days and moments that are hard. They're difficult. Those are the days where it's harder to pray. Those are the days when it's just easier not to read scripture. It's easier not to invest in our relationship with our spouse or with our kids because those days are hard. So, Father, in those days, I pray that you would remind us that we are children of a good and gracious Father. Would you remind us that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And as the moments are as the words of the song we're about to sing say, "Lord, we need you." With our heads bowed, I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And I just want you to keep praying there, however, God has spoken to you. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. We are going to have a moment where we get to celebrate. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of you in the sanctuary, there's, uh, there's spots all around the sanctuary set up. I think there's four of them. There'll be a masked, gloved attendant ready to provide you with those communion elements. So after we worship, after we clear our hearts for how we're responding to God, and after we have a prayer to lead us in communion... We invite you to go to one of those stations to grab one of those cups and take them back to your seat. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this part of the service is meant for you. We invite you to take it back to your seats and to pray over that moment and to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection. There are a lot of people perhaps today who have never known you're forgiven by Christ. Maybe you're at home or in the sanctuary. You've never had the power available to you to do so. You've never experienced the peace of God, which transcends our ability to understand it. Most of us believe in God. We kind of go to church when it's available or convenient. We try to do good things. And if you were to measure up our life, we think we've done more good things than bad things. But if we're truly honest, we've never really entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is because of his goodness he sent Jesus, who was without sin, to become sin for us. And he was raised again from the dead so that anyone, including you and I, would call on the name of the Lord, would be transformed, healed, and forgiven. Maybe this is, this is the most important church service you've ever been in or watched because it's the day of salvation for you we invite you to turn your life to jesus declare him lord of your life and maybe today is the first time you take communion where you get to celebrate the death the burial the resurrection of jesus as you celebrate him as your lord and savior thank you so much for listening to this week's message If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.